Hi, I'm Ethan. I love muzzleloading. Today, we're talking with Nick Parcher about smokeless muzzleloaders. Now, I know this can be kind of a divisive topic for the muzzleloading community, but I think people like Nick are doing a fantastic job of tinkering with and experimenting with these smokeless muzzleloaders in a super safe, a super, super calculated manner. Smokeless muzzleloading really has changed a lot from the early Savage days, and um, I think those we talk about it some in the episode those early savage days really shaped a lot of opinions about smokeless muzzleloaders but i think now you're seeing this second generation of builders and tinkerers and shooters out here really changing the shape of smokeless muzzleloaders and um you know i i I think even if you're not interested in smokeless muzzleloaders i think you could enjoy this episode just based on the fact that nick is a super super nice guy and a really interesting guy and his approach to shooting I find uh, really neat. He's taking a a very modern approach and hybridizing it to what many of us are familiar with when it comes to competition muzzleloading. That being said, full disclosure here, do not ever, 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 ever put smokeless powder in a muzzleloader that is not rated and not made for smokeless powder. Don't put it in your CVA. Don't put it in your traditions, your Thompson Center, your night. Just don't don't do it. There's been several pictures of the last year of people putting smokeless powder in their muzzleloaders, and it, it really does not end well. So, But that being said, I don't think that we should define this super modern, you know, cutting edge precision of muzzleloading totally out of the community. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Nick is a really great guy and really super open to sharing all of this information, which I think is a real testament to the community. He's really carrying on something we all love about muzzleloading, regardless of what kind of muzzleloading you're talking about, is he's willing to share. He's put in the work, he's put in the research, and he's wanting to get good knowledge and good information out to shooters everywhere. Enjoy the show. Started muzzleloading because hunting in Iowa. Yeah. (laughs) You know, as younger, you know, it started shotgun hunting and party hunting and uh, ridiculously dangerous and um, just kind of moved away from that um, and started with an inline and shooting an inline muzzle loader and um, moved away from because I didn't like the accuracy and kind of led me to the smokeless muzzle loaders and talking to a few people and got involved in that and started hunting with shooting one of them and and it's just kind of snowballed from there. Um, they, you know, I haven't, I haven't hunted with a black powder or black powder substitute, you know, since. <laughs> oh, really? And how long has that been? Um, it hasn't been terribly long, only uh, four or five years. But uh, um, you know, haven't been hasn't been real long. But it's you know, it doesn't take long to a person once they start doing it to to figure that out yeah there's there's no reason to look back i guess right (laughs) what's the you talk about the hunting you know in iowa what's that like what's the hunting culture like out there well whitetail hunting is a religion in iowa yeah um you know for for many years iowa has been the you know the top of the list for trophy whitetail in the, in the country. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's since kind of taken a back seat to some other States, 
you know, Illinois has really done well, Indiana, Ohio, you know, but, uh, you know, Kansas is fantastic now. Um, but some of the reason that Iowa's kind of taken a back seat is because now um, a lot of the landowners like myself, you know, we don't report nearly as much as, as we used to. Okay. So uh, a lot of the trophies that um, used to be, you know, used to make the list are not now being, you know, cause, cause a lot of the landowners didn't like all the notoriety that I was getting and all the influx of out of state hunters. So a lot of people kind of shut down. And so now we've kind of fallen off the list a little bit. Okay. It's still one of the, it's still one of the greatest destinations for whitetail hunting. It's just, um, when you look at the list of the number of trophy bucks, you're going to see a couple other states in Iowa. Yeah. Now, does that just have to do with the environment and the habitat that there, that's there for them? Is there something special about Iowa? Uh, yeah, it's really what they, it is the habitat and, and what they're able to eat, you know, so, you know, in some of the Western states or other states, they, the, the deer have to, have to travel a lot further to get the nutrients that they need. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in Iowa, you know, it's entirely possible for, uh, for a deer to live its whole life on, on one square mile, right. In one section, even, <laughs> you know, they don't, they just don't have to leave. <laughs> right. Right. They, they don't have to go anywhere, you know? So, um, it's, it's funny when we check game cameras, you know, me and the neighbors that are a half a mile apart, you know, we, we share pictures all the time and uh, pictures of bucks. And, and it's funny how I have bucks that they've never seen and they have bucks that I've never seen. Really? And, and we're a half mile apart. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know, so you, so they're not going there, right? They're staying apart. Right. Huh. So you, Talk about, I mean, your, your focus, and we're, we're talking to you this, you know, about the smokeless muzzleloader scene. So how did you get, how did you go from shooting, you know, a, what I consider a modern muzzleloader being an inline with a black powder substitute f- to this, you know, really high performance, peak performance edge of muzzleloading? What, was it some buddies that you had or some people building it or you know, how, how'd you take that jump? Well, sure. So the, the Savage ML2 had been out for a long time and mm-hmm. I'd seen many of them and I knew some guys that were shooting them. And, um, at that time, when I saw those people, I never saw anything performance wise that really made me say, Hey, that's something I need to switch. The guys that were shooting them, the only reason they were shooting them is because they were, you know, they were the kind of guys that didn't want to clean their gun, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so that was really the only benefit I could see. And, you know, I don't mind cleaning. I just wanted something more accurate. Well, so then at that time, I was actually, my neighbor actually had one that was converted by a gentleman in Ohio. And he asked me to put a scope on it and cite it in for him. And I did that and I shot it and it was just, it blew me away. Hmm. Um, and so the first thing I did was call another Iowa guy that I had learned um, was, was putting rifles together. And um, his name was Luke Horak. And he built me my first one and, uh, arrowhead rifles. Yeah. He built me my first one and, um, it was, it was an eye opener. So what, what kind of differences are we talking about here? You know, for somebody listening that might not be familiar with the smokeless muzzleloaders, what kind of well, changes are you, can you expect? Well, <laughs> so my, my first hunting muzzleloader that I put together or Luke put together for me, um, 
was built on a Remington 700 short action, had a 28 inch Brooks barrel, um, was a 20 twist. Okay. And I started shooting two um, full bore, no sabots, um, or skirted bullets like a power belt. Mm-hmm. Um, full bore bullets. I started to shoot the, the 300 or 310 grain bullets. Um, and when I started, I started at about a, a 300 grain or 310 grain bullet at, at about 2,700 feet per second. Wow. Um, and I was shooting, you know, sub minute at 100 yards the first five shots out of the rifle. Hmm. Uh, it was, it, there was no, no load development needed, no anything. As it soon as I got right out the box. Right. As soon as the scope was zeroed, it was right there. Huh. And, and that's, that really started the sickness in me. Yeah. It really did. Um, you know, from that point on, I, I couldn't believe what was happening. And I immediately stretched my rifle, that hunting rifle out to, I started putting steel out at my place and I went to 300 right away. And then I went to 400 and then I went to 500 yards and, and in, in a matter of days, I was taking that rifle and and hitting a you know shooting sub minute at 500 yards and again with no load development right with just the 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 recommended load from the guy that built my gun. Well, Luke knows his stuff, that's for sure. Well, sure, yeah, and he he built you know he built several rifles up to that point. He's gone. He's done you know a thousand more since then. But um, it's just uh, you, you know it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So are you the kind of guy who chases that kind of peak accuracy with all of your guns or is it just muzzle loading? Well, yeah, all of my guns. I I started, um, I I mean, I've been shooting, you know, since I was a kid, Mm -hmm. um, with, with my dad and went, joined the Navy. Um, I did a lot of shooting when I was in the Navy and when I got out of the Navy, I started doing bullseye pistol shooting competitively. Um, my brother-in-law and I, um, we, we did quite a bit of bullseye shooting. Okay. Um, and, and that's really where the discipline, um, in the, in the chasing, the accuracy came from and is that, that bullseye pistol shooting. And then, you know, cause most of the, the, the rifle stuff I did was, you know, varmint hunting, you know, shooting prairie dogs and, and chasing accuracy with a, you know, varmint rifle and, and that, but never really in hunting because, you know, at that time we were shotgun hunting and, you know, you just had to wait for the deer, you know, you're pushing a deer out of the woods and your buddy's sitting on the other side waiting for the deer to run by. Okay. Um, so we never really needed, you know, that, that high accurate, but once we quit shotgun hunting and we started, you know, sitting in, in box blinds and doing that, well, then I needed a rifle that was a lot more accurate because I wanted to shoot, you know, something, you know, you know, the deer, you know, a hundred yards or 200 yards away. And the inline could do that. I, I think before I switched to a muzzle loader, I think was, you know, 190, 200 yards was the furthest I'd shot with an inline a, a buck. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and now it's, you know, much further than that. <laughs> How far is that, if you don't mind me asking? Um, the, the furthest I've actually um, dropped a doe was 492 yards. Wow. Jeez. So. I mean, that obviously varies, you know, depending on you know, the hunter and how well they know their gun and things. But I think that's really impressive that you can take a shot and, and bring a deer down at 492 yards. Congratulations. Yeah. I've, I've tried to put myself in a situation, you know, because I practice a lot 
Mm-hmm. I shoot, you know, I, I shoot ooh, close to a thousand rounds a year through my rifles. And it's, uh, so I, I put myself where I hunt the land that I have. I, I try to put myself in a situation where I can take a really long shot. Yeah. And, and this year I'm, uh, I've, uh, I've built a, a different platform and I'm hoping an early muzzleloader that, uh, that I'm, I can get to, you know, somewhere, somewhere around 800 or less, um, in that, in that range. Wow. Boy, that's something. <laughs> yep. The, the guys, you know, in the early days of America hunting with their flintlocks, I don't know if they could ever imagine something like that. <laughs> So I, I grew up some when I can remember some when like smokeless muzzleloaders started to come onto the scene, but I, I was pretty young, but I, I do know that smokeless muzzleloaders kind of have a bad reputation when it comes to the shooting world. I think that's changing with, with guys like you and, and, and Luke out there, you know, showing how accurate they can be and how safe they can be. But you know, from your perspective, why do they have, you know, kind of a negative reputation and, and how is that changing? Well, you know, I, I think the reputation came from the first attempt at a manufacturer to, to get it mainstream. And that was Savage the ML, right? Yeah. Um, and I think I, I give them kudos because they really are the ones that started this, um, to be honest. But, you know, they... People got them and, you know, there wasn't a lot of known things about them, right? They started, they, you know, Savage published what they wanted people to shoot. And naturally, people wanted to shoot other things. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, they started shooting, trying to shoot other things. Nobody knew, you know, nobody could relate, you know, pressure and, and, and there was nothing to fall back on, no known loads, right? I mean, other right. than what Savage was saying. So when somebody tried something new or a different bullet or something, there was the pressures that they create and the powders that people were trying, you know, it was getting kind of sketchy. Yeah. And then, of course, and then of course somebody naturally double loads, right, which you can do in any muzzle loader, not just a smokeless, but when you do it in a smokeless, you know, and and you blow it up, you're going to blame Savage. And that happened. There was a lawsuit, you know, that, that kind of started the, the whole downward spiral. But even while that was happening, you know, guys at the forefront of the smokeless things, you know, were that were chasing the accuracy bug and really pushing the envelope, you know, they kind of pushed past it and it kind of veered away from Savage. And, you know, um, the people that are in the know, right. The people that were doing it knew that they were safe and they knew that you know as long as we put a good barrel on there that's meant for you know a rifle barrel right if you put a good barrel on there they it's not going to be a problem as long as you know so then people started uh, you know the internet you know really helped i mean oh, yeah. and, and that's funny how that you know message boards and, and other guys shooting stuff and then we had guys with pressure traces we had a couple of different guys doing a bunch of different pressure traces now i'm not going to lie to you a couple a couple of these guys actually blew up guns or, you know, bulged barrels getting to know stuff, but it was under a more controlled scenario where they kind of saw it coming, right? They kind of yeah. pushed the limit a little too far and, and, and nobody really got hurt, but these pressure traces were all over the boards, message boards. And, and, uh, people were starting to do that. And then of course, quick loads, um, 
came along. And quick loads have been out for a long time, but had never really been applied to muzzle loading. And that's and that's kind of where I took over. I, I took quick loads and and being an engineer and using a lot of software, I kind of worked it out. And and now quick loads is actually the go-to thing. Um, and so whenever somebody asks me, you know, what you know, is this safe to shoot? Right. It takes me just a minute or two to plug the numbers in and find out, you know, here, here's the velocity you're going to get. And here's the pressure you're going to see. And based on the kind of gun you're telling me you're shooting, it's, it's a good idea or it's a bad idea. Yeah. And, and, you know, we can, we can go from there. I, you know, every day or every other day, at least I'm, I'm talking to somebody, you know, running a, running a simulation on quick loads for them. And and it's been a real help. Hmm. And is that just like a, a software that you have on a computer or is it down to like a, an app on your phone or? No, no, it's a software you buy from a company um, in California, okay. I believe it's like, it's called Nico and, and it's, it's meant for cartridges and all different types of cartridges. They have all different types of bullets and they have all the different types of powders to use. And, you know, once you, once you understand what the variables are and, how to manipulate the variables to use in, in a smokeless muzzle loader. Um, it's actually quite accurate. I'm, hmm. you know, I'm, I can simulate when, like I, when I'm shooting my big gun, I always run a quick load and I'm always, you know, within, you know, less than, less than a hundred feet per second. And a lot of times less than 50 feet per second on the velocity. So hmm. I, so if I know I'm that close on velocity, when I actually run it with a with the lab radar, I know I'm also really close on pressure. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, so I can, I got a really good idea that, you know, how, how reliable it is. Huh. So you're, I mean, I think of, of some of the hardcore, you know, match muzzleloading shooters, um, even on the traditional side of things, you know, they're real conscious of all of that, of, of their load. And like, I mean, I think of like the size of their round ball, the thickness of their patching and everything. And you're taking that, a whole, you know, not even a step further. I mean, you're out a mile and a half ahead of them, you know, as far as the, the detail that you're going into when you're preparing, you know, to shoot and, and preparing a load for your rifle. Oh, absolutely. I, I make sure that before I pull the trigger that I, I have a really good idea of what's going to happen before I pull the trigger. Hmm. Um, and, and so I, and, you know, just recently I was doing some load work with my big rifle because I'm trying to stretch a 45 out to a mile. And Jeez. so I'm shooting a, a 335 green bullet and with a, with a really healthy dose of RL 17. And I was pushing it at, at uh, 3396. And I knew that I knew I was going to be really close to that before I pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. And I know that I have different types of ignition for different amounts of pressure that I need. And, you know, when you start to see pressure signs and stuff, then I can change my ignition if I'm going to go a little bit hotter in, in pressure. But I never, I knew I was going to be around the 55 to 56, you know, thousand PSI. And if I, you know, if I would have saw the pressure signs that I was kind of looking for, I would have had to go on, to a direct ignition, which, which can handle the higher pressure, but I never saw them. So I knew I was below that 55, uh, cause my modules weren't, I wasn't leaking. I wasn't getting any, you know, any primer pushback. Um, everything was, was looking really good. So I knew I was safe and I knew that, that, that load was now. Now 
I ended up that load at 30, you know, 3396 was, I ended up having to back it down, not because of pressure, you know, but because my, you know, the accuracy node was a little bit slower than that. So I brought it down a little bit and I settled at, uh, at, at 3340. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, there's a lot that goes into it before, you know, and I don't normally tell a lot of people, um, especially in my big gun, I don't normally tell a lot of people, you know, what I'm doing until I have it nailed down. Right. Um, and then I'll say, you know, and then of course you gotta, you know, with a grain of salt, I, I just, you know, I hate to make assumptions, but you know, I, I'd hate for somebody to put the load that I'm putting in one of my big guns in their little, you know, hinge rifle, right. That would just be a, yeah. a nightmare. Yeah. That would you not know? be good. <laughs> right. Not at all. So when you're talking about your big rifle, what can you, you know, share some of the specs. I mean, what, what is this big rifle that you're talking about? Um, it's, it's name's Kaboom. Um, it's, a um, fitting and it's, <laughs> it, it, it weighs, uh, it weighs 27 pounds. Wow. Um, it's built on a Remington 700 short action. And, and this rifle actually has had a lot of hands on it. Um, um, it's been built and rebuilt and rebuilt again several times. Um, just trying different things, but, uh, um, the, the barrel that's on it right now, uh, was turned by Hollis Weber at center punch USA. Um, it's using the arrowhead rifles, um, ASG ignition, the gen two ignition. Um, and it's a, it's a Brooks barrel, but this one's an 18 twist and it's 32 inches in length, but it is a full inch and a inch and a quarter the entire way. No taper. Oh, okay. Um, so very heavy barrel. Yeah. Um, and then I have a, uh, precision, um, Ryan, Ryan Pierce, precision rifles, his, uh, um, mag muscle break, the big monster break on the end of it. Um, and then I have, um, masterclass stocks, uh, stock built by Alex Sitman that has a, uh, it's a, it's a very, unique stock by made the, the material is made by a company called chrome apply. Um, it has a composite insert in the center channel to make it stronger. Um, and then it's laminated on the outside. Um, to, and it's, it's a little bit heavy, um, but it's got a three inch wide forearm and then it's got a two inch wide toe. It's a, for bag riders. It's a, it's a bench rest style rifle. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, and then of course I have a, ATAC R night fat night force scope on the top. So, yeah, I think, uh, when I, when I saw a picture of your rifle on Instagram, that, that scope was the thing that really kind of stood out, I think right out front. <laughs> it's a big scope on there. Yeah. I think that's neat. I mean, you're, you're using a lot of the principles of, you know, what could be seen as traditional bench and muzzleloader shooting, you know, and like slug gun shooting and those guys. Um, but putting that modern spin on it and you're talking about, you're trying to reach out to a mile with it. So how's that going? Uh, it, you know, it, it's doable. I mean, the do at, at my elevation, it's going to be very, it's going to be tough. I, yeah. I, I, I plan to go out West. Um, so at my elevation, I've made shots with it at 1530. That's the furthest I've actually made with that rifle. Um, I, and the, and the, sh and what I made with that rifle was a different bullet, um, going a little bit slower than what I'm doing right now. Um, I, I, 
you know, the, the bullets get a little wonky when they hit that transonic area. So I got to bump it up a little bit. And that was the, that was the process of what I was talking about earlier is getting that bullet to go a little bit faster. So that way I can still get to that range. I, the load that I'm shooting right now, um, at my elevation, it's probably a mile's probably not going to happen. I need to get somewhere, you know, if I get, if I get out West a little bit, get up, you know, somewhere over, you know, 4,000 feet, I'll be fine. Um, okay. you know, just, but, uh, you know, then I'll be okay or even higher yet elevation if I got into the mountain somewhere, you know, but, uh, but having to hook up with somebody that, you know, that that's there, that's going to be the, the problem. I know there's a, a few guys out West that, that, uh, that I've talked to, you know, and, but just the timing hasn't ever been right. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult to line things up like that. I've started to see more more people get interested in smokeless muzzleloaders or smokeless capable muzzleloaders um, from the custom side of things. Do Do you think that the internet has played a, a big role in that becoming more uh, accepted? You know, as guys like you are out there, you know, figuring this stuff out, and and these message boards are becoming more and more populated with people willing to share this information. That that's helping spread the word and and get more people introduced to it safely. I think so. I think that's that's been a big part of it. And, and the other, probably even more so is that the guys putting the rifles together and, and the manufacturers making the parts that they've done a fantastic job. Um, you know, there's, there's a plethora of guys out there now that are actually, you know, building guns. Um, there's, you know, there's really two, you know, on the custom side, you know, that, that are making, you know, really good. There's several ignitions out there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for these guns, but there's two that are, that are, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else. Okay. And they're both using modules. They have their own breech plug. They're using modules. And those two, those two guys are head and shoulders above everybody else. But, and those two, you know, I, I mean, you're, you know, you get, it's the Ford and Chevy argument there. You're, you're going to get one, one, one guy is going to tell you that this one's great. And another guy's going to tell you that this one's great. So yeah. I'm not going to get into that argument, but the, the, those guys that are developing that stuff have really made it so that it's becoming more mainstream. Right. I mean, it is, you know, you, there's, you know, we're, we're holding matches now there's smokeless matches everywhere. Well, not everywhere, but I mean, there's some, and the more people shoot, the more it happens. And, and now you got guys converting, you know, 45 70s, um, you know, really? some of the C, some of the CVAs, you know, um, the Thompson centers, you know, there's, they're, they're converting those guns and the, you know, those don't, those are, we call them hingers. Um, but they're still smokeless capable when they're converted correctly. And they're, they're really good little guns. Hmm. Um, now they're, they're not nearly as capable as a, as a big bolt gun is, but they're, you know, for a hunting rifle, they're fantastic. Um, and those guns are really, I mean, it's really taken over. I mean, to be quite honest, there's probably more of them out there now than there are big bolt guns. Really? Um, but, but they're, you know, it's, uh, that's probably one of the ways I think that, you know, the internet has really kind of taken over and, and and helped with, with get that out there because now there's people that, you know, don't want to spend, you know, $4,000 on a full custom, right. 
they can spend fifteen hundred dollars and build a and build a, a good little hinge gun, you know that that can they can hunt with. Yeah, and that's enough to get out and and go have fun with it. Sure, right there, and there's still right there's still a lot of the advantages. I mean, they're clean, right? They burn really, really clean, and they're they're incredibly accurate. You know, 300, 350 yard gun, mm-hmm. and. And you, again, you're shooting full bore bullets, you're sizing bullets. Those are all things that you have to do. But, um, you know, you know, an inline, you're not going to go to, you're not going to go to your local Walmart or whatever and buy a bubble pack CVA and take it out of the box with a power belt and shoot a target, a 12 inch target at 300 yards. It's not going to happen. Um, you got to really and, work with to get something like that going. Right. So that, you know, but if you, if you buy one of these converted, you know, CVAs that, you know, that that's not, 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 it's not hard at all. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that there were people working on that, you know, converting some of the mass market stuff over, but that's really interesting. I imagine you have to replace a lot of the rifle. Yeah, mostly all you're keeping is the action and the stock, right? Right. Um, you know, so the, the well, and some of them the barrel too, right? Some of the CVAs that have because CVA had a, a rifle that was a forty five seventy, and so you you take that rifle to these builders, and they take that rifle off, and and they take that that chamber that's chambered for the forty five seventy, and they just drill and tap it for a breech plug. Oh, and, okay. And it's in, in, in you know, and now it's. Now it's a smokeless muzzle loader, right? Now, um, Thompson Center, um, there's a company um, in Utah, I think it's St. George, it's, it's, it's MGM Barrels down there. They, uh, they make barrels for the Thompson Center Encore. And you just buy the barrel for them and slop it on just like any other barrel. And it's, and it's, it's drilled and tapped for a breech plug. You know, and it's for a forty-five, and it's ready to go. Okay. You know, now you now you're now you have a Thompson Center that's smokeless capable, right? Now, now you can't ever take any Thompson Encore that is your, you know, that is your black powder gun, right? Your whatever one you have, you can't. Don't ever mistake that you can take your muzzle loader that you have that's a Thompson Center. You can put smokeless in it. That's yeah. that's not what I'm saying, right? right. You have to put a different barrel on it. Yeah, right? it has to, it has to be converted. Same thing with any CDA, right? It, it's a it's got to be converted. You can't just you know if your rifle barrel says says black powder only, that means black powder only. Yeah, yeah, you'll do some serious damage if you if right. you put smokeless in there. I think the the thing that I hadn't realized because I've seen people talking about that, you know, asking if CVA is going to get into the smokeless side of things for muzzleloaders. Um, and you know, they're not interested, which, which I understand, but I, I had not considered taking one of the CVA smokeless guns, the modern cartridge guns and converting it into a muzzleloader, kind of going the other way around that, that just kind of blows my mind, but it makes total sense to turn that into a muzzleloader instead of trying to turn one of their muzzleloaders into a smokeless gun. Right. Huh? That's really neat. <laughs> that seems kind of silly, yeah. but I hadn't even considered that. <laughs> I don't. You get to sit in on their marketing meetings, right? Right, right. And and, and, and it's probably a good thing, but um, you know they're they're in bed with with a lot of people, and and every gun manufacturer is not just CVA, but you know 
they want their guns, you know, in the hands of a lot of people and they want them easy to shoot. And they, you know, they make a lot of sacrifices to do that. And, and those are sacrifices I don't necessarily agree with or something that I wouldn't do personally, but yeah, you know, there's, there's so many people that, that need a CDA, right. That really are the, Hey, I want to go buy this. I, I, I can't afford, you know, I can't afford a $4,000 rifle. I need a $500 one. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, and, and the, in those cases, that's absolutely perfect. And, you know, and I, I help everybody, right. If you, if you come to my place and you want me to help you build a dope charter, learn how to shoot, you know, a long ways, I'll, I'll be more than happy to help you. But, you know, I, I also want to show you, you know, the, the, the guys that are, that need to shoot that gun, you know, for God's sakes, ditch the Sabbaths and the power belts, you know, let's, let's, you know, let's, let's get you shooting something a whole lot better than that. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that, you know, there's things are built for, for different kinds of people and for different needs. You know, I mean, my custom match muzzle loaders, I, w- I would never dream of taking those out into the woods, you know, necessarily for a deer hunt or a squirrel hunt or anything. You know, I've got kind sure. of, I've got my long rifle for that. Um, and the, the, what you're talking about is, is the same way. This podcast is brought to you by Thor Bullets. Thor Bullets are a premium full-bore muzzleloader bullet designed specifically for modern inline rifles. Thor Bullets do not require plastic sabos or belts to be fired, meaning less cleaning for you between shots. The patented copper base creates an airtight seal, giving you greater distance and accuracy. Thor's unique engineering allows the bullets to retain 95% of their weight upon impact, and the controlled expansion ensures large, easy-to-follow blood trails. Thor bullets are currently available in a 50 caliber version that is sized to your specific bore. Thor is also expanding into a new 45 caliber bullet designed for faster 1 in 24 and 1 in 22 twist inline rifles. For more information on these great bullets, visit www.thorbullets.com. We'd like to thank Thor Bullets for their sponsorship of this podcast. So what's the what's the muzzleloading scene like in Iowa? Is is muzzleloading pretty big for the hunting season out there? Or, and, and is there a big match culture out there? Or is it, or is it just muzzleloaders primarily for hunting? Mostly hunting, right? We So we have... Um, we have two dedicated muzzleloading seasons. Early muzzleloader is um, is very early. Um, it's in in September. Oh wow! Uh, October. Um, it, it's it's in the beginning there. It's it's you know it's before the rut, right? It's it's very early. Um, usually crops aren't out. Usually it's very warm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it, it's uh, it, you know um, it, it's but it's very early and then. Then you get, you know, then, and of course the bow season starts, you know, a little bit before it and is is the same time. And then of course they quit, then you get, there's no, no firearm hunting in Iowa during November, during the rut, it's all bow hunting. And then in December, the first part of December is we get gun one, then we get gun two. And then we get at the middle of December, we get late muzzleloader and late muzzleloader runs between the middle of December to uh, like the 10th or 11th of January usually. Okay. Um, and the, so what they've been doing with late muzzleloaders, they've been kind of telling every they, because I was been developing these, you know, straight wall cartridges and different, different things for rifle seasons. And they've kind of thrown them in to late muzzleloader too. So you can, you can shoot a handgun during late muzzleloader and, and it's kind of the catch all. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, 
but yeah, mostly the scene in Iowa is revolved around hunting. Um, and you know, there are a few matches. I, you know, the, the Midwest muzzleloader classic has been held at Iowa. Um, God, I think five years or I, I can't remember how many years that's been. Luke started it. Uh, Luke Horak started it. And then they did it down at the Brownells range for, for a while. And, and then I kind of, I've taken over this year. It's going to be held at my place this year. Um, I, I also hold, we have what we call cold bore matches um, at my place. Um, and that you compete, you can use whatever you want. If you want to use a muzzle or a center fire, um, it doesn't matter. Uh, rifle and, and it's, uh, that's a little bit different format. Um, but other than that, it's out of the state. We have, there's, you know, the Kentucky challenge is held twice a year and that's more of a bench rest format. Um, Indiana is actually, they're putting on an Indiana Midwest, uh, or Indiana muzzleloader classic is going to be in July this year for the first time. Yeah. I'm excited um, about that. And then, uh, then a couple years ago in Tennessee, we had, um, they called it the hot rod muzzleloader match in Tennessee. And that one went out to a thousand yards. Um, that was a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, those are really the only matches that, that we know, where, you know, it's, uh, would love to see more of them. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, that, you know, so the interesting thing about the matches now is, um, do we, do we include something a little bit different for the, for the guys shooting the hinge guns, because the hinge guns have a really tough time hanging, you know, at long range with the bolt guns. Yeah. And oh, yeah. so, you know, so then you kind of have to have different classes and, you know, you need enough participation for both to make it worthwhile. So that, that kind of, you know, we'll see how that goes too. Hmm. Yeah. You start to get, it starts to get complicated <laughs> when you start introdu- introducing those classes and uh, yeah. the different match structures and things. What would you recommend for somebody that is, you know, listening to this and is interested in getting started in, you know, you know, dipping their toe in the smokeless muzzle loading and, and kind of is just interested in, in this kind of super accuracy that you're getting into? Well, I, I would start with, you know, whether it's a, either one of the boards, the, the, two, the two most popular boards on the internet or the, the Facebook, there's a popular Facebook page group. Um, and, and there's a lot of good people on there, um, that, that comment. I'm not on the boards as much anymore. Um, I, I, I spend a little bit of time on the, on the message group on Facebook, but, um, the, those are places, good places to start and, and at least learn, you know, who, who might be your builder, that's nearby, right? Mm-hmm. Geographically. Um, cause there's guys all over the country now that are, that will put these rifles together. Um, and they're all really good. I, I'm not going to say one is better than another because that, that'd be a lie, right? They're all, everybody that's doing this right now is really good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would just suggest, you know, you know, choosing whichever ignition system you think is best and, and go and, and, and get and get a builder, tell your builder you want it, what you want built and, and, uh, and go from there. I, you know, I like, I, I really like my bolt guns, you know, my big guns, uh, even, you know, even the, my hunting rifles have all been heavier, um, heavier rifles. 
you know, consider, you know, I hunt from a box blind and mm-hmm. it's, and, and I use a front and a rear rest when I hunt, I'm not, you know, shouldering anything or shooting offhand or anything like that. So, um, everywhere I hunt, you know, I, I'm rested and I have, you know, I have a range finder. I've got all day. I'm hunting over a food plot. You know, I've got all day to hunt. I don't have to worry about the deer getting spooked and running away. Yeah. Um, so, so I can handle a big gun. Now, if I had to hunt somewhere where I had to climb a tree and sit in a tree stand, that'd be a different story. Um, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't want my, you know, my 15 pound hunting rifle, you know, in this tree stand with me. Yeah. Um, you know, so that, that would play a, play a role, um, in, in what I would choose. But I would also tell somebody to that, you know, don't, don't ever buy a rifle. I mean, if you think you want to shoot, you know, if you, I mean, cause people tell me this all the time, well, I've never shot a deer over, you know, I'll never get a shot over 200 yards. Well, that might be true, but you, you might want to, sh- you might like shooting your gun and you might want to shoot it past 200 yards. Yeah, you yeah. might not ever shoot it at a deer at 200, you know, over 200 yards, but you might want to, hell, you might want to come to my place and take a poke at the 700 yard or 800 yard target. Right? Yeah. You yeah. might want to do that. And if you want to do that, don't get a hinge gun, you know? <laughs> You know, I mean, so that's the, that, you know, and I, I, you know, some, but then, you know, people make up their own mind and that's good. And it's a great place to start. Um, and you know, my, I have a cousin, um, I, I think I told him three times not to get a hinge gun and he bought a hinge gun and he, uh, he shot it for one year and he got on the phone. He spent an hour with me talking about my, he's now he's going to get a bolt gun. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah you, you know, he, you know, he's, he's like, okay, I get it. And I'm like, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, if I was starting all over again, I don't think I would do it any different. Right. I think I would stick with a bolt gun okay. and, and a builder. I would go that route. Now there's ways you can build a, a bolt gun that are, that are not full custom. Right. I mean, if you, if you can go to a pawn shop or your local gun shop and find a, an old Remington 700 short action for cheap. That's worn out or a old vomit rifle that's 700 that's been shot up and you can find it for cheap. Well, you know, heck buy it, spin the barrel off of it. You know, and there's guys selling their, their pre-fit Remington remage barrels that are already drilled with ignition systems in them. And you can headspace it yourself and you're done. Right. You've got, you've got a muzzle loader. You're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, so, um, that's a, and you know, if you choose the, you know, the 700, you know, you got 800 different types of stocks you can choose from. And, you know, if you want a different stock, I mean, if you want the stock that's in it, that's fine. But you know, yeah, a lot of guys get started that way too, or the Savage, right. If you choose a Savage, you know, a Savage action with a, with a small shank or large shank, whatever, you know, spin that off buy a buy a savage prefit barrel and throw it on there and away you go you know that's a that's an inexpensive or a much less expensive way of going too yeah now, there, there are i gotta point out there there are a lot of things that go along with it but there's some cost involved in this that's not including that the, the, the gun is only a portion of it right um yeah you know that, that there's there's other things that a guy has to buy you know that you need a funnel you know you you need a funnel, you need a ramrod, you, you know, all of us are shooting, you ditch the sabots and the, and the, you know, the skirted bullets or shooting full bore. So you'd usually, you need a die, right? That die. And if you, 
if you're not a reloader and you don't have a press, you need a press, right? Yeah. So um, now, and if you're not a reloader and you don't have a, a scale, you're going to need a scale, right? So um, those are all things that you're going to need to do. Hmm. It, it gets, it gets pretty involved. <laughs> it does. Right. Yeah. You're, you know, it's the, the rifle, you know, is only, is only part of it. Yeah. I get it's a little bit off topic, but uh, have you seen the like the NRL Hunter matches that they have um, set up out there out west? No, I haven't. I I, I may have, but I you know, jog my memory. What's what's uh, the format? It's um it's so the NRL launched a new series of of matches called the NRL Hunter series, and it's set up to where you have a specific hunting rig, and you're crawling all over the hills or the mountains of, of where the match is being held, shooting targets at unknown distances with what's supposed to be your hunting rifle. So kind of simulating this hunting atmosphere. And um, after seeing that, I think that would be really wonderful for anybody out there that, that uh, you know, not, not specifically you, Nick, but to start kind of that NRL Hunter but series, but for muzzleloaders. Because I think... You know, with the accuracy and things that you're talking about, I don't think you'd have any trouble, you know, hanging with those guys and, and probably putting them to shame a little bit here and there. Maybe not with your big gun, but um, it, it seemed like a really neat format. There's some neat YouTube videos out there. You might you might check out just to just to see what they're doing with it. But um, I think it's it's a pretty innovative hunt or match structure to kind of bridge that gap between hunters and, and match shooters. And, uh, I think gets the hunters shooting more and it gets shooters a little bit out of their comfort zone that are used to you uh, know hitting steel or silhouettes from, from a firing line. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I will have to check that out. Yeah. You, there's videos of guys carrying their guns and like they're resting their, um, their rifles on their backpack that they have to carry between stations before they take shots and things. And there are some stations from my understanding set up to where you have to find the target yourself. So like you have to, you have to glass for it and look for it. And if you don't find it, or if you don't take your shot, you know, you miss out on those points, but you have to keep going and it's, it's pretty neat. Yeah, that'd be neat. So that's part of the reason why there's not nearly as many muzzle loaders shooters in competition because the formats don't favor us. Yeah. Um, I've actually contacted several, um, I've t- contacted the spear point ranch. I've contacted an ELR match in Texas. Um, I've contacted a lot of ELR people because I wanted to compete in some of these ELR matches, but they won't let me. Um, really? and yeah, they're, they've, I've talked to, I got, I've spent hours on the phone with, with a lot of them and, um, I got close with the guys in Texas, um, but then they then they just kind of they quit calling me back. Yeah. Um, but they there, there's a couple of reasons why they don't. Most of now, most of the ELR is all is all prone and and bipod um, and rear bag. Well, and then they ha- they have ten minutes to shoot X number of rounds. Well, I can't do that. Yeah. Right? I can't. <laughs> I, I just I can't. I can't lay down, shoot a gun, get up, load it, get back down. I mean, it's just impossible, right? I mean, I'd be lucky if I got two off. Yeah. And and then, of course, the safety. You know, if you're next to a bunch of people shooting in a firing line, it, it, and that's part of the issue is it pulls into the safety while I'm standing up, getting down, loading a rifle. That that brings into fact the safety of the other shooters while I'm doing that, right? Yeah, so, yeah. 
And, you know, muzzle loader guys are all used to that, right? So we all know the inherent, you know, dangers of what we're doing, but other people don't necessarily. And, and so, um, you know, I've, I've been turned away, you know, I, I'd really like, you know, somebody to, to, to let me shoot, right. Just to shoot, you know, I, at some point I'd love to just shoot, you know, just to show people, you know, what I could do, you know, even if I don't, I mean, obviously not win, right. Because I'm not even going to be able to get all the shots off, but you know, if, if they see a guy with a muzzle loader ring steel at a mile, that's going to, they're going to be like, okay, this is real. This yeah, is a thing. That's going to open know? up and, their eyes. Right. And then maybe at that point they'll, maybe they'll say, okay, you know, Nick, can you bring a couple other guys and we have another class for you guys. Mm -hmm. And, and then at that point, you know, there's, there's a, there's a few people, there's a handful um, of guys that are, that are like myself that are trying to, you know, get the mile. Um, Jeff, Jeff Fisk and in Indiana and Levi Reed and Utah have, uh, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure both of them have already made the mile shot with the muzzle loader. I, I think, um, I'm pretty sure Levi might have even even got a, his, his might have been out to 2,500. I'm not sure. Wow. Um, and I know uh, Bill Travis in Tennessee is is made. Um, I'm pretty sure he's he's either at like 1,600 yards or or he's made a mile. But you know, and uh, and I, and I've made 1,530. Um, so we're we're getting you know it's we're all right there. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it's so you know, but what's coming right there in pretty soon that you know it starts with you know four guys and next thing you know it's eight and next <laughs> so it just keeps growing yep so is that where you kind of see muzzleloading going you know in the you know the next five or ten years is it is it going to be more people chasing that long range that mile and and maybe even past a mile with their muzzleloaders uh, yeah, I think there's a, a definitely a group of us that are going to be doing it. And I think, you know, even with regular rifle, you know, ELR shooting, those guys that are the king of two miles group, right? They're, they're pushing everybody else, right? The mm -hmm. popularity that's growing with them has really brought people into, sh into shooting. And, and now PRS, you know, all, all these different, you know, competitions is really, has really, really blossomed. I mean, and so it's, it's not going to be any different, right? Every, you know, every time you hold a match and somebody comes to the match and sees what you guys are doing, you know, that's a potential for that guy to be the next guy buying one. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, yeah. you know, so, and the same thing goes with, with those of us that are trying to stretch this out a little further, you know, there, there's, you know, somebody's going to read about it and somebody else is going to be like, God, I can do that. Right. You know, let's, <laughs> let's try that. Yeah. You know, and, and it's funny when I talk to, you know, when people that are outside of our little circle, you know, other shooters, cause I, you know, with my job, I'm talking to shooters all the time. And, you know, when they find out what I'm doing, I always get a funny look on their, they always either they, they, at first they're like, they don't, they wonder, God, are you full of crap or what do you know? And then I start <laughs> explaining to them what I'm doing and they're like, Holy cow. You know, and then they, then they just, then the ball just starts rolling, right? They start asking questions and questions and questions. And, and the next thing you know, I, I'll start getting emails from them and they're, and they're, you know, and I'll send them a name to a builder near them. And the next thing you know, they're building a rifle. Yeah. You know, and because, you know, all of us shooters are, you know, it's an addiction, right? We, oh, yeah. we all, you know, we all love it. And, you know, I, I just had a conversation with one of my, uh, one of my customers um, is, works for silencer co 
And, and he, we spent, you know, two days together working on a piece of equipment and, and, uh, half the time we were talking about muzzleloader just because he was so <laughs> curious. Yeah. Right. He was, he, you know, so. Well, that's super neat, Nick. I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk with me. And this has been a really interesting com- conversation. I, I don't know that I'm going to, um, you know, go out and order a smokeless muzzleloader right away, but, um, you know, I got a lot of years ahead of me and I, I could really see myself getting into one of these just, just to kind of chase that, uh, chase that accuracy. Yeah. Well, you're really close to a guy that's one of the best, right? Jeff Fisk oh, is yeah. a, um, fantastic, you know, um, he's, he's doing some great stuff and he's, he's one of the innovators, right? He's made some really interesting stuff for, you know, for night and he's now he's working on the omegas. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he's just, he, he's a thinker and, and, uh, he's, I like what he does there. Yeah. And I mean, I think I've talked about it before on, on other episodes, but he's just a super nice guy. I mean, all the yeah. matches that I've filmed and, and been at with him shooting, he's shooting against other shooters with his own guns and he'll stop during a relay to help somebody, whether they're shooting one of his guns or not. You know, if anybody on the lines have an issue, he'll, you know, put time out of his relay to go down there, down the line and help somebody who's having trouble. I mean, that's just a stand up guy right there. Right. Yep, that's him. I really can't thank you enough for for sitting down and talking with me. This was a really this is really interesting to me personally, and I think it'll be really interesting to other people out there that really haven't been exposed much to smokeless muzzleloaders. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure. I'd like to thank Nick once again for coming onto the show. It was a great conversation. And, um, you know, really informative, I think. It, it's an avenue of muzzleloading I've become aware of, but I don't know a whole lot of. And I think um, when we talk about trying to get more people involved in muzzleloading, if there are people out there that are used to shooting modern cartridge, you know, modern smokeless guns, some of these custom smokeless muzzleloaders, especially for somebody interested in extreme long range matches, uh, can start to be really appetizing and I think can open up the door to the rest of the muzzleloading community. So, I mean, a lot of the people that I talk to that have gotten into muzzleloading or are getting into muzzleloading even more all started out shooting a modern inline rifle. And now they are you know, either comfortable with that, they're going into kind of the super precision that we're talking about with Nick here. Or they're kind of going back in time, getting into cap and ball, and then later on into flintlock stuff. You know, as they as they change and as they get more interested in different aspects of muzzleloading. So, if you like this show, we'll be posting a full transcript of the episode onto ilovemuzzleloading.com, going along with the YouTube video and um, the podcast episode. If you've enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and consider rating it on your platform of choice. That helps us get out and get in front of more muzzleloading enthusiasts out there to share this knowledge and share this information from people like Nick, people like Frank House, and uh, everybody else that we've had on the show to just you know continue to promote muzzleloading and, and make sure that we, we keep it going for the next you know countless generations. I want to thank our friends at Thor Bullets. I think their full bore muzzleloader bullet technology is super neat. I think Thor is really at the front lines of kind of this mass produced full bore muzzleloading bullet. It might not be something that Nick is shooting out to a mile, but um, for somebody like me and anybody interested in hunting 
or just kind of plinking with their inline muzzleloader, it's a great alternative to some of the other bullets out there. There's no sabos, there's no plastic, there's no patches. It's just your bullet. It f it's sized to the bore. You get your little sizing pack, you measure, and you order the bullets that are perfectly sized for your bore so you know that you're getting full bore contact with every shot. This bullet is as accurate as it can be. And, um, you know, with some of the videos that we've done, I encourage you to check those out, but they've been a lot of fun to shoot. It's something different than I'm used to, but, um, you know, I, I got to say I, I'm really enjoying them. So I'd like to thank Thor Bullets again for their support of I Love Muzzleloading and, uh, and our mission to, to spread the good word and, and share our love of muzzleloading. In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com.